You are joined by your usual hosts here. We have uh, Tom Mannering. Hello. And myself, Josh Hartley. How are we doing this week, Tom? I'm doing well, Josh. I am doing well, thank you very much. I have, uh, as of Wednesday, got my internet back at long Hurrah! last. Uh, which, I'm uh, after a month of no internet and hotspotting, has been a, a godsend, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, yeah, I can see your face. On uh, Obviously, we're recording with the benefit of video. Yes. So, having not seen Josh... Uh, on camera for a few weeks it's a i want to say it's a treat but i'd be lying oh wow okay <laughs> well i, I kind of knew that was coming so so predictable low-hanging fruit yeah it, really? um, uh, how, how are you what have you been up to uh up until that savage uh, attack i was fine thanks <laughs> truly truly savage top tier <laughs> um, no i've been grand thank you i've been grand i've been doing um doing a little bit of gaming and tabletop adjacent stuff this week so um we brought i had another game of wingspan okay um uh, and that this this is how i know a game has gone down well is if because i was um popping over to see my friends dan and danny um last night and dan asked can you bring wind can you bring wingspan please <laughs> so when people people who aren't um necessarily tabletop gamers start asking for me to bring a specific game I know it's good. Yeah. So, so we're playing that. Uh, the other exciting thing, and I can't, I can't remember if I mentioned on last week's episode, but over the Christmas period, I got myself a proper gaming PC. I think you did and, mention that. Yeah, and I have bought Warhammer Total War Two. Nice. So I've dived into that. Um, a friend of mine, Stephen, has it, loves it, uh, and we're doing like a cooperative campaign. So, Ben would be proud. I'm playing as um, uh, Thorgrim, the king of the dwarves. And uh, and uh, Stephen is playing Emperor Karl Franz. So, and it's just, it's just superb. It's just so satisfying to see these battles play out. And you get to zoom in on them and see, like, all the... You know, it's a really, like, fighting. old man mode there. It's, this is superb. <laughs> it's just... It is superb. There's no other word for it. It's brandy as divine. <laughs> Like brandy. <laughs> Shut <laughs> Just up. Prove my point. <laughs> Shut up. But no, I mean, have you ever, have you ever uh, dipped your toe into the the world of Total War at all, or not the Warhammer one? I, I played some of the earlier Total Wars uh, back in the day. Uh, the Warhammer ones, I, I've played a lot of the Warhammer games. Uh, I played like all the way back to the ye oldies, like Chaos Gate, which was mm. a really old one. Uh, and more recent ones like Vermin, uh, Vermintide, uh, Vermintide yeah. and, and Vermintide Two. Uh, I actually have. I think you gave me the the White Dwarf voucher yes. with all the different uh, ones. So I played a few of them as well. That um, was after you bought the digital version of the White Dwarf, not realizing that God. it didn't come with the. That was terrible, man. That was like <laughs> and Games Workshop's customer service on that was shocking. BT Dubs. Uh, yeah, that was that was disappointing to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, but no, that was really really good. Uh, they've got some really good games. Games Workshop. Your mileage very much varies because uh, some of them are garbage, uh, but they do have a lot of really good ones. But I will say that 
the Total War ones are very well regarded, and and I think that's probably with good reason from what I've seen. Yes, they are exceptionally well, well made and just capture the the feeling of being in the old world or the world that was or what you want whatever you want to call it and just the flavour of the races and everything is just absolutely bang on. I think um, I will pick up the new one when that Yeah, comes out. I'm excited for the new one. I need to actually get it pre ordered because if you pre order it you get the ogres as a bonus faction. Oh nice. So I'll need to get in on that. Um, yeah, so I that know. I have absolutely everything. <laughs> um, I do remember, though, years ago, uh, the first Warhammer game, video game I ever played was, do you remember Shadow of the Horned Rat? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah. Now, I, I downloaded it off good old games a little while back. Oh, it has not aged well. <laughs> I mean, that's the case with a lot of old games. Games yeah. inherently just don't age well, you know, especially like from the, the very early gen because you're they're so, you know, poly, polygony. I don't know what the right, ter- yeah. the right term for that is, but, you know, they're so polygony and like they're slow and stuttery and the sounds, you know, quality's garbage. Uh, so if you go back to like the really old games, it's it's tough. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and even like games like uh, early PlayStation games, you know, stuff like your original Tomb Raider and Diablo and things like that. You mm-hmm. look at them now and you're like, oof, this is this is, shows yeah, its really. age. Yeah. Um, I think you'd less that's less so now because the developments graphically have slowed down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, once you hit kind of a certain point, you can still see a, a difference in quality and stuff, but it's not quite as as stark as it is. Yeah, you know, comparing uh, those th- that generation to the current generation, mm-hmm. but I know exactly where you're coming from. Yeah, so uh, I'm just trying to think if I, I don't think I've done anything else like gaming related this uh, this week. I think the only th- the only other thing to note this weekend um, we're we're having a family get together and uh, we're. Um, I've been requested to bring games, so oh, nice. I'll let you know how that goes. That'll be fun for you. Yes, yes, it will. I've uh, I've not done much uh, board gaming related this week, uh, just because I've been quite busy with with one thing or another. Uh, but I I did, as as I mentioned on last week's episode, I have pre-ordered my Gene Steel Codex. Hey, so I am excited yeah. about that. So so that, was, that lands this weekend, right? Lands on Saturday. Yep. Yes. I'm hoping it arrives on Saturday because every time I've ordered something on the Saturday it's coming up for pre-order, it hasn't arrived the day it was supposed to arrive. So, okay, I'm, I'm we'll ready see, to be we'll disappointed. See that, we'll see how that pans out for you. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's this Saturday it drops. Uh, I'll double check before I start spewing hate mail. I was actually I was looking at uh, buying some like pre-painted terrain and a proper like neoprene mat so that we can have a a good. Like some a nice table to <laughs> to fight on when when you come down, um, and I, I definitely do want to do Crusade because I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, well. yeah, I'm game for it, man. So, I'm, I'm well, well up for that. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll let you know how that goes when it happens. On on the um, subject of Games Workshop, I think you have a a point to, to oh, mention. Oh, what a beautiful segue! Just smooth smooth as a freshly felted snooker table. Um, don't give me that look. That that, that metaphor checks out. Uh, um, 
Yeah, it, it, the New Year's honours list came out, and we missed we missed this last week, basically. But among the New Year's honours was uh, Ian Livingston, the uh, who, amongst other things, is the co-founder of Games Workshop in the mid seventies. Uh, he was also uh, behind the Fighting Fantasy series of books. Uh, and has uh, himself uh, written a bunch of uh, uh, role-playing games and board games as well. I mean, really, probably doesn't need any introduction to most of the listeners on this channel. He's a titan of the industry. He's also gone on to be very much involved in uh, the video game industry as well, and he was honoured with a knighthood in the 2022 New Year's Honours list, specifically for services to the online gaming industry, but... You know, we the the uh, the old tabletop was uh, how he got there in the first place. So, a couple of questions on this: uh, Is he still involved in Games Workshop, or is he like is he completely Don't gone from it? So. Right. He uh, was previously editor of White Dwarf up until February nineteen eighty six. I don't believe he's had. In direct involvement in Games Workshop for some time now. Okay, that's interesting. The other thing is, and this is not really related to what we discussed but it's an interesting point that i just want to make they give knighthoods for service to online gaming that is yep. crazy like yeah you just well it's a huge industry no it is it is right but like can you just just contrast that in your mind taking where knighthoods come from right the the arthurian sort of legend if you will mm. Of you know these knights around a table, you've got Lancelot the Brave, you know mm-hmm. Percival, all these figures, these mythical heroes, and then you've got Ian of Livingston, who made a cool online game. Yes, he, <laughs> so Ian Livingston behind the Tomb Raider franchise. Yeah. <laughs> it really it just loses a bit of the a bit of the gravitas, the bit of the the myth of it. You know this this what a knight, what a legend. Yeah. Do you think the Queen's played any, uh, read any uh, fighting fantasy books? <laughs> maybe, I mean, she's got kids. Maybe she read them with her kids at some point yeah, in time. Maybe. Probably maybe. not, but, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a fun image, you know. And yeah. then he kicked the shit out of him. Turn to page 237. <laughs> I don't believe they use that kind of language in the fighting fantasy books, Tom. <laughs> No, but again, in my head, my my Queen canon. The, yeah, the Queen Elizabeth was riffing yeah. at that point. Yeah. yeah, she's she's a she's a feisty one, is old Liz. So anyway, yes, it's a cook. Obviously, great to see someone from the industry uh, being honoured in such a manner. So well done, uh, uh, Sir Ian Livingston, for your for your recent knighthood. Right, yeah. Moving on from that, where do we go from here? Um, do, do we want to do the, the 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 piece that you're bringing to the table? Uh, yeah, we can do. Um, so this is just kind of more of a conversation piece uh, and a bit of t- sort of news is maybe giving it a bit too grandiose title. Mm-hmm. There's been a bit of discussion uh, on the, on the old internet recently. Um, with regards to uh, Wizards of the Coast's recent release, which we've talked about previously, uh, which is the Strixhaven uh, book that they recently released, uh, Crucible of Chaos, I want to say, off the top of my head, uh, Curriculum of Chaos, something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we've we talked about this coming out, and I, I have it, um, but there's been a lot of discussion online about the content of it, and it's not received 
favourable reviews across the board. And what's been levelled against it mainly is that a lot of people are saying, specifically in regards to the adventure that makes up a good chunk of the book, it's very threadbare. Uh, right. There's there's a lack of detail or sort of expansion on things, and there's a lot left for the GM to either create or decide themselves either beforehand or on the fly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and some people have felt that it's yeah, it's just a bit lacking. It's it's a bit it's a bit bare bones, probably the best way to put it. Um, mm-hmm. And I I, th- I found this quite interesting. Uh, there's a couple of people that I've sort of caught videos or comments they've made on it. Uh, and I just thought it was it was something to discuss because when it comes to sort of pre-written module content, especially which is forms a part of that book, mm-hmm. you know where do you draw the line between too much information and and not enough information? And right, at, I see. At what point do do you really say you know it's the GM has to take some responsibility even in a pre-written module for that kind of content mm-hmm. and. I also wanted to mention it because I started running uh, my critical role campaign based on uh, the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount uh, book that they brought out a while back, uh, preparing mm-hmm. for the module they're bringing out for Call of the Netherdeep in a couple of months for critical roles uh, line mm-hmm. of D&D content. And I'm running one of the adventures from the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. And one thing I found with that wasn't so much that the book was lacking content. Uh, I actually think it's the adventures in it, at least the one that I'm looking at, has great content uh, mm. and is really well described. The issue I have with it is that there isn't really maps for the majority of the encounters included inside that, which is fine if you're using theatre mm. of the mind and things, but if you're running on Roll20 or anything like that and you, know, you don't have the software to make your own maps, which your average gamer is not going to have yeah um it, it was quite challenging for me to either yeah. find maps that, that matched the descriptions because they weren't really just generic locations you know there were for example just to, to make my point one of the encounters happens in a lizard folk village which is in a mm-hmm. swamp and the village is composed out of the heads the skulls of giant tortoises Right, and it's a very like, specific look. That's a very yeah, it's a very specific, and it's important to encounter. It's not something you could just take out mm. and you know have it be the same thing. You'd have to kind of you know resculpt it a bit. Um, so yeah, I just thought it was, it was an interesting topic to mention, and, and I thought I'd get your thoughts on it and, and give mine as well. Yeah, so I mean, obviously, I don't run games. I'm, I, I've never been a GM, so. This is kind of like the stuff that happens behind the curtain as far as as, as far as I'm concerned. My gut feeling is it's probably better to have too much than too little though, mm-hmm. right? You can always chop things off and take them away, but like it, there's a lot more work to create and add something. And that's not everyone's bag either. Mm-hmm. Like I imagine that I know that you do um a lot of homebrewing and like amending of existing modules to make it fit whatever campaign yeah. that you're running. But equally, I imagine there are plenty of GMs out there who just get a campaign text and run it by the book. Yeah, and, th- and absolutely nothing wrong with doing that. Um, that's there's no criticism there. But that that's that's a, a 
a part of the audience that needs to be catered to and that is perhaps uh, being overlooked yeah. if uh, if if this adventure module is as is you know light on content as people are saying it is i've i've read the module i, I, I tell a lie i've breezed the module uh skim, yeah. skim read it yeah. yeah uh and i i didn't feel it was under detailed i i think there is a lot going on in a very limited page count. I will say that. So mm-hmm. it probably is likely that on a thorough reading and when you were running it, you would probably start to notice it's not really information oh, given. Bit, yeah. Yeah. It's missing. Yeah. And you know, there is stuff to, to make up on your own. And I think it's, it's an interesting thing because where, where do you kind of draw the line on that? And, and how do you maybe even need to potentially advertise that differently? Because you'll get some, books that come out for multitudes of systems i've seen it for D, pathfinder cthulhu uh other systems like that uh star wars does it as well where they won't have adventures in a book but they'll have like a page of adventure hooks and mm-hmm. and what they are is for anyone that doesn't know it's basically like a paragraph at most mm-hmm. to give you like a a really like uh top down very simplistic overview of what an adventure might be. So it'll be something like um, a thief has broken into a museum and Mm -hmm. stolen uh, the eye of Anubis uh, and fled to the plane of fire uh, and the adventurers Uh are hired by the museum to go and track him down. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Like, literally everything outside of that, the GM then has to go away and flesh that out. Who is the thief? What does the gem do? How okay. did the break-in happen? You know, everything else yeah. they need to do themselves. Whereas with your adventure module, the expectation is typically that you could sit down, read that, and run mm-hmm. pretty much from that. Sure. Um, but with some of these uh, adventure modules, you know, with them being so big or, or so large in scope, it's, it's it's difficult, if not impossible, right, to touch on every base. Like, you know, you're not going to detail every patron of the tavern. You're not going to detail every building in the city. You know, it's just not realistically possible. And at that point, as a GM, I think you, you need to take some accountability mm-hmm. of that degree of, of creativity. You know, you've got the framework. You've got sort of what I would call spotlights of of bits that have been fleshed out. You know, you've got the encounter site, you've got maybe a couple of locations in the city that are going to be relevant. Anything beyond that, you need to improvise it. You need to, you know, flesh that out. And whether you feel comfortable doing that on the spot or whether you feel you need to sit down beforehand and and add to that. And there are plenty of resources online and uh, in other texts that, that allow you to do that, that, you know, it doesn't need to be in, in that one book as a GM you can go and do that. So I do agree with what you said, that you can't have too much detail mm-hmm. to a degree. And I will come back to that in a minute. Uh, but for the most part, I, I think it's fine. Like, you know, I, I think maybe just, maybe if there was a way we could say, you know, it's an adventure, but there is a bit more work maybe for you to do in it. I don't know how you would word that, you know. Um, yeah. I suppose maybe the problem then is that it, 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 the expectation is is there that it's a more fleshed out module, and if that's yeah. how they have been previously, and this one is a little lighter than than some of the previous offerings, then I can get why people would be a bit annoyed at that. But you know, if you've got it in your head, okay, this is what it's going to be like, and it's not quite that, then yeah, obviously that's going to be a disappointment. 
I think that people's expectations are a bit unrealistic because this is an adventure module that is inside a source book. So it's not an adventure book. Yeah. It's a source book with an adventure in it. Right. So to me, you know, and that that's kind of where my head was with the Explorer's Guide to Wildmount. That's the same. It's a source mm-hmm. book with four adventures in it. So I went, okay, it doesn't have the maps, which is a mm-hmm. pain in the arse. But to me, it doesn't diminish that book at all because I acknowledge mm-hmm. that realistically, with four adventures in a book that's also got a load of other content, it's going to yeah. be very hard pressed to get all the maps in there. So it is a lot, of real, a lot of real estate in that book to to compete with. Exactly right, right? and you've got to something's got to give, and I, I think that's probably the case here as well. So I, I kind of wonder if it's a little bit of unrealistic expectations of you know you've got this book, it's got loads of content. The Strixhaven book has like rules in it as well for like new systems and like mm-hmm. really cool stuff that is being really well critiqued as well. Mm-hmm. But then this adventure maybe is just a little thinner on content than, than people would expect compared to something like Rhyme of the Frost Maiden, which is a you know an entire module of content. Yeah. So it's an interesting uh at least to me, <laughs> it's an interesting I'll make the I'll make the observation that very very unlike uh, fans of a nerdy pastime to have unrealistic expectations. Oh, yeah, tell me about it. Uh it's it's funny because talking about that I was I was listening to a podcast today at lunchtime mm. uh where they, they're playing a, a live game and mm-hmm. at the start of it they actually sort of stop the episode to address their fans. And they say, like, you guys are emailing us and, and, and commenting on our videos and things about rules that we've got wrong. It is unrealistic to expect that we are going to get every single rule oh, right. absolutely. You yeah, know. geez. Oh, like, something as complicated as Dungeons & Dragons. Oh, I've seen it with some of the YouTube channels that do, like, Warhammer 40K as well. It's like, do you have any idea how many different books you have to, yeah. like, cross-reference and everything? It is impossible to get all of the rules right unless you devote every waking hour of your life to it. And even then... <laughs> I think they're saying, like, we don't mind if you email in and say, you know, just so you know, that rule is actually this. Of course, yeah, that's but, fine. But they're getting, like, like, actual vitriol. Them. Like, actual people... I, oh, my God, I can't believe yeah. they got that wrong. These people call themselves true fans. <laughs> <laughs> ah. That's pretty much it, you know, like... Yeah. I'm not listening anymore. You used the charm rule slightly wrong. <laughs> yeah, there we go. It's daft. Um, but spinning off from 5th uh, edition D&D uh, onto another sort of 5th edition... Holy crap, We are, you, you are on fire with these segues know, right? today. Like, I'm prepped, man. I came in ready. Jeez, so. I'm ready to party. Uh, yeah. Josh, do you want to talk about this Kickstarter? It's... It's interesting, right? So this caught my eye. It came on. It went live a couple of days ago, and this is. I. I don't know if you've ever come across something similar in the past, Tom. Um, it is the Adventurer's Guide to the Bible fit for Fifth Edition D and D. So what this is, and I'm going to read the little blurb that they've um, that they've written for this. Uh, This project began as a simple effort to convert locations, characters and monsters from the Bible into 5th edition stats for a personal home game. However, during this process we realised just how widespread the appeal of role-playing games was among youth groups and Bible studies that we talked to. Not only were Bible enthusiasts playing, many of their game masters were struggling with the same difficult task we were. 
How do you run a game that is both true to the source material and fun to play? This question led us down a road filled with conversations, game design and research that eventually yielded 350 pages of content. Our goal was not merely to present a list of people and places as they appeared in the Bible, but to create a unique adventure experience that brings the fun and spontaneity of 5th edition D&D into the narrative of biblical storytelling. What we created was the Adventurer's Guide to the Bible. So, um, I think we'll start with a couple of caveats. Uh, I, and unless Tom is hiding something from me, uh, he, he, neither of us are um, people of any sort of faith, really. Um, and uh, and we have a lot... Of, we're aware that a lot of our listeners uh, out there um, are Christian or of other faiths. And we've got a lot of friends as well who are, who are Christian as well. So what we're not going to do is like have a bash at uh, religion or anything like that. I, I, we wouldn't be doing that anyway, even if we didn't know, have a single friend who was uh, who, who was that, because that's not a nice thing to do, frankly. No. Um, what I do want to talk about is what because I, I do find this genuinely interesting: the notion of using sacred text as a setting for. You know, a camp- in this case, it's a campaign supplement slash module for an existing game. But in theory, this could have been, you know, a board game or a miniatures game set in the the Bible or, the, you know, the, the biblical times. Yeah. Um, so, uh, I mean, what were your thoughts, first of all? You've had a quick look at the, the Kickstarter as well. Yeah, I have very mixed feelings on it, to be honest. Um, I think it's it's an interesting idea. I think is is definitely. I think one thing that you you sort of mentioned when we were talking about it before the episode is is do you look at something like this as as potentially sacrilegious? Yeah, and, and I think that's a really fair point to raise straight out the gate, you know. And, and we can't really comment on that because, when, as you said, quite rightly, neither of us are religious, so it's not our place yeah. to make that decision. Uh, and I'm not sure anybody could really make that decision uh, in any kind of definitive sense. But it's mm-hmm. it's not the first time that media of any form has has tried to uh, interpret or reinterpret stories from the Bible uh, mm-hmm. or in the biblical period uh, into some form of media. You know, we've seen loads of films, uh, Oscar-winning films that have yep. have you know, Passion of the Christ um, being quite a, a, a big uh, example. Also, mm-hmm. lesser stories as well. I remember when I was young. Uh, there's like a Ten Commandments, I think it's called. It's a really old film that was really yeah. big as well that, that re- uh, retells uh, part of the uh, stories from the Bible. Um, and there's there's even computer games. Uh, that... Yeah, it's, it's a, a Super Noah's Ark on yeah. Super Nintendo. Yeah. yeah, and it's not alone. You know, there are there are plenty of, of games. Uh, that and, and I think that's... This is my personal opinion, but I think... I, although I am not religious, I come from a religious background. Both my parents are religious, and I was raised in a religious house, and I went to a religious school. So up until my late teens, I was religious, and I was very involved in, in the church and things at that point in time. So I do understand that sense of it. And at that point in time, I didn't have access to computer games that were religious, had some films that were religious, and I enjoyed them. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would have loved a religious role-playing game to be honest i don't think my friends necessarily would have <laughs> um 
But I would have I would have liked it. And it's not the first time I've seen religion touched on in role playing games. There was a there was a supplement for third edition D and D called Deities and Demigods that touched on deities from different pantheons outside of fantasy and they had well fantasy in loose terms they had the greek pantheon they had uh the how was it Uh, egyptian pantheon uh and and although we see them as mythical pantheons at one point in time that was a religion real people worship them yeah you know uh i don't think there's many people worshiping you know zeus nowadays but uh, I think that's a missed opportunity, but hey ho, that's a different discussion. Uh, and you had um, at the, the tail end of it, of this book, there was a very, very sort of. They didn't so much say it was God, but they kind of hinted as a, a biblical, the, 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 the monotheistic, yeah, the, the monotheistic, the Christian idea of God, God. the Christ, the Christian, the Judeo-Christian and Islamic, yeah. idea of one god yeah this is you no know, this is kind of something this is potentially what that might look like so it's not the first time that it's been kind of touched on but this is obviously a much deeper dive mm-hmm. um see i think my initial impression of it i personally don't find it sacrilegious but obviously not in a position to really comment on that but i think it's an interesting idea um for sure there how it would play as a game i don't know i think it's an interesting way for people potentially of faith to maybe explore a time much like we t- we use normal D&D, Star Wars, things like that, mm-hmm. to explore something we literally cannot be part of, right? We, we yeah. can't actually go and fight dragons. We can't actually go and be Jedi. We can't actually go and do, you know, all these things that we do in games. But being part of those games allows us to go and explore that experience in a, a sort of um, vicarious way. Um, mm-hmm. this is an opportunity potentially for Bible groups, as they say, uh, youngsters looking to explore their religion, adults wanting a bit of fun with their religion, maybe to go in and experience that environment in a role playing game setting. How much there is to that to utilize is a maybe a different conversation. Um, yeah. because if you are going off real real biblical times as seen in the bible you don't have you know monstrous races you don't have monsters roaming well if you went old testament i suppose yeah if you goliath the entire race is in D D is named after him. funnily so... enough one of the races included in this is giant which i suspect yeah. is related to, to goliath okay so so goliath yes uh, and there are some sort of uh, divine forms, you know, the burning bush. I was just going to say, there's, there's definitely like fantastical elements in yeah. a lot of the Old Testament as well. Sure. Like, so you've got stuff like that, but you're you're largely looking at a, a setting that, unless I'm misunderstanding, is going to be predominantly human. Uh, human it's going to be relatively grounded in history. Yeah, dealing with human issues. And, and the relation to the, the divine, mm-hmm. you know, the, the God uh, and, and other things related to that. So yeah. um, personally, I would struggle to, to perhaps run something with that because of a, a lack of scope. But I think if you were wanting to explore the world, the issues, uh, the relationship to, to God in that period as well, because that is one thing I, I really do enjoy about uh, D&D, like playing clerics, that relationship to religion, because I have that background mm-hmm. 
in religion. Yeah. I understand how that feels. I understand the relationship, but it's a it's a different approach to it. Um, so maybe there's something there in that sense. What I, I'm conscious I've blabbed for a very long time. No, what no, do no, you think, Josh? <laughs> well, no, I, I think I think they hit the nail on the head in their little blurb. This uh, to me, this is clearly aimed at uh, Christian youth groups, mm-hmm. right? And you know what? If I was a a, a young person uh, in a, in a church uh, and the uh, like the the youth pastors or whatever uh, pitched this as like an activity to do at uh, doing Sunday school, then yeah, I'd be all up for that, right? That's uh, so. If, I suppose from from that point of view as well, in helping helping young people learn a bit more about their faith, then that's a, that can only be a good thing for uh, for Christians, right? Yeah. So um, I, it's clearly this, this, this is the thing. This is clearly not marketed for you or I. No, is is the is the thing. No, I think but, this as as they have correctly put it, and I think it's to their credit that they've been pretty clear in their marketing. You know, this is for, and it's never a term I've heard before, but it is an appropriate term. It's for Bible enthusiasts, right? It's for people yeah. who have an interest in it. You know, you don't run a setting in Star Wars if you have no interest in Star Wars. You would use this if you had an investment and an interest in the Bible. Whether or not it's sacrilegious, as I said earlier, that's a discussion that would need to be had by people with an investment, and I don't think you'd get an answer, uh, ultimately. Uh, What I do find interesting, uh, and I'm going to go slightly on a tangent about, Mm -hmm. but it is about the content of the book, is they've they've included things that are, are obviously inside the book in kind of their description of it. Uh, I mentioned to you the the art uh, when we were talking beforehand is I always find this when you get these sort of third party uh, companies. So in this case, it's Red Panda Publishing. I always Mm -hmm. find you you get this really, your mileage may vary with your art. Like you'll get some absolutely stellar art, you know, some top tier could be in official modules. You know, you would buy this off the artist in prints and things. Some of this is, you know, top tier, lovely art. Uh, there's like uh, you'll see on the Kickstarter there's like a, a kind of what looks like kind of a I think it's uh, the Gardens of Babylon uh, it's a beautiful bit of art lovely yeah. and then some of the others you're like mm, and I wouldn't have put that to print and I'm not yeah, I, I, I think I think that's the thing with the smaller indie publishers it's like mm, you've, you've got limited resources right so you, you kind of have to work with what you've got I think I would I would always go if I were in this situation though I'd go let's go for quality over quantity sure. like let's get good art and have less mm. of it than having some good art and then tainting the waters with you know, a, a lesser quality, some art. amateurish looking stuff. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not, I'm not bashing anybody's art specifically. I'm just saying you want to keep your art style consistent. You know, if you've mm-hmm. got really good quality art, stick with good quality art. If you've not got good quality art and the best you can afford is mid range, that's fine. But be consistent. Have consistently mid range. You know, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Uh, that they kind of missed the mark on that with some of the art that I've seen. But anyway, unrelated. Um, but yeah, what, the, go on. Sorry, on you go. No, no, after you, sir. <laughs> the, well, one, one thing that I did find reassuring, and um, it it bothers me as a non-religious person, so I cannot imagine how irritated religious people get by this sort of behaviour. But it, it, they do. The creators do seem quite genuine in their motives mm-hmm. as well. I I don't that I don't think they're doing this to make a quick book or anything, which 
unfortunately you do see people exploiting faith in that way uh, particularly particularly in America <laughs> I think from the vibe I've got from from what I've read and we watched I, I watched the video I think you did as well uh, yeah. about it, it it seems to be a bit of a passion project right so this is people yeah. that, that do care about it probably I'm speculating probably religious themselves from the looks of it or at oh, least yeah, heavily that, yeah. invested in uh, the content of it um some of the some of the ideas are genuinely quite creative as well like um i was looking at the, the they're releasing some subclasses um mm. and one of them is like the barbarian uh path of the the nazarite which is uh a really cool idea the description is a bit questionable uh devout warriors <laughs> gifted with superhuman strength uh, who do not cut their hair or drink alcohol while fulfilling their vow to god but that's obviously like a reference to uh, samson which is yeah, absolutely you know, yeah. that's, that's, lost his power when they cut his yeah, hair. That's yeah. pretty cool. Like that's yeah. that's a cool idea, right? Like conceptually, mm -hmm. uh, you know, they've got like the bard from the College of Psalms, druid from the Circle of uh, Baptist. Like it, it's it's an interesting way to take these concepts, these ideas, this theology, and and sort of integrate it uh, into yeah, give it some mechanics yeah. and this how how it's going to work in in a, a d20 setting yeah which is you know i i have seen I'll, I'll be blunt i have seen much worse ideas than this yes. is, is is the long <laughs> oh, and short yeah. of it um uh, this seems like a good faith project seems like someone's passion project was that a pun was no it, it was not <laughs> it <laughs> that, genuinely was not good good accidental pun. yeah um <laughs> Yeah, no, it's it, good face to term I use at work a lot, so it just yeah. sprung into my mind. Um, yeah, it just seems like people that, you know, wanted to do something for something that they care about. And yeah, as Josh says, it's not for everyone, but for the target audience, I think this might deliver, you know? I, yeah. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And, and obviously that's only my opinion, but yeah, it's, it's not for me, but it looks decent. Uh, it looks like people care about it. It looks like they've got some good ideas battering yeah excellent so of course the uh the link for the kickstarter will be in the show notes below um there's plenty of time left on it so uh if you if you want to uh take part in that kickstarter by all means uh, uh check check out the link below and uh i think before we sign off again this week tom i just want to um remind our listeners that we do have our patreon as well we have our Patreon. <laughs> so, yeah. I no, love but, that. <laughs> no, but in, in all in all seriousness, um, as as we've said plenty of times previously, it's not free running this. We've got uh, subscriptions that we have to pay for. We've got equipment that we have to buy. Um, hopefully, you have heard the difference in Tom's voice now with his brand new Blue Yeti microphone that we've recently invested in. My beautiful so, dulcet tones just uh, yes. resonating across your speaker of choice. It, it was funny editing you last week because normally I have to I have to uh, turn myself down and turn your volume up a bit yeah. just to get them even. Didn't have to do that. It's all, it's great. It, it, sound, it sounds so much better to be honest. Like, I'm so glad. So, so critical. <laughs> no, but it, like it, it does make a it does make a big difference, particularly to me editing it, because now I don't have to remove all the the pops That's and uh, hisses and stuff. So yeah, there was a lot of uh, whistles great. and hisses from my uh, yeah. my sound. I will give you that. 
So, so look, all we ask is if you enjoy uh, listening to us, if you uh, if, if you like the content that we're, we're putting out. Uh, please check out our Patreon in the, the show notes below. Uh, donate as little as $1 a month. It, every, every little penny helps us uh, keep the podcast running. Thank you. Rightio. And on that note, I think that is all we have time for this week. So, as always, thank you very much for listening. And until next time, take care. Bye! Bye! Bye.